Hey, Teresa, do you want to do a long episode or a short episode? Uh, let's do a medium one. It's Schmanners. Hello, Internet. I'm your husband host, Travis McElroy. And I'm your wife host, Teresa McElroy. And you're listening to Schmanners. It's extraordinary etiquette. Extraordinary occasions. Hello, my dove. Hello, dear. Oh, I'm so excited. Hi, everybody. If you're listening to this, you're a Max Fun donor. Thank you for being a Max Fun donor. And maybe you are already a donor. Maybe you've been a donor for a while now. Or maybe you're a brand new donor. Oh, I'm so thankful. It means so much to me. And maybe this is one of those times where I have a problem sounding sincere. It really does mean a lot to me. I really do appreciate everybody's support. Um, we've been with we've been with uh, Max Fun a couple years now. I mean, Schmanners. Right. My brother, my brother and me has been with Max Fun for like nine years, forever. Uh, and it just means so much to me that we're getting new listeners all since the time. Since the beginning and, of recorded podcasts. Yeah, since time. the beginning of time, we've <laughs> been with my brother, uh, Max Fun. And it just means so much to me that we're still getting new donors and new supporters. And you, you're all great. So thank you. So we wanted to do a, a special bonus episode. Yeah, because that's what you're here for. Because that's what you're here for. And so this is going to be a bonus, not just for you. But also for Teresa, because for I I did the research. Yay! Um, we've talked a lot about historical figures, right? And one of my favorite historical figures, a personal hero of mine, is Harry Houdini. Um, and one of the things that, that kind of drew me to him when I was a kid, as a lifelong theater kid, was his showmanship, right? Like oh, yeah. He, his, his, uh, listen, he's an amazing magician. And he, but, I think that he really understood how to, how to hold the tension for oh, yes. the audience. Yes. And not just hold the tension for the audience, but how to like self publicize. Like his ability to like roll, he would like roll into a town and be like, hey, lock me in your jail and I can get out. And they'd be like, what? No. And it would become like a huge event and then he would escape. Or he would like hang upside down from a crane in, in a uh, in a straight jacket and escape hanging above the street. Right. That kind of stuff really got people's attention. And so I wanted to do an episode about Houdini. And so we were talking about it. And there is a chapter of Houdini's life that works so well with etiquette and history. And that is seances mm, yes and spiritualism and mediums and all that stuff which was a kind of a pastime for the victorians oh, yes it was a huge it, it was like a board game night for for victorians it's you know? so funny to think about how the victorians were all into like botany and science and discovery and like they wanted to take everything apart and see how it worked and you know the the industrial revolution really fueled this kind of 
scientific thinking, and yet... <laughs> well, there's a good reason for that, though. There is a connection. Whereas, so basically, because I was reading about this in my research, one of the reasons it took hold is there were many scientists who were like, this is a new field of science that needs okay. to be understood. Okay. And uh, a lot of mediums who later admitted to being frauds have said that the, the, the scientists who wanted to study it were the easiest targets. Because they wanted to understand, rather than questioning if it was real, they wanted to understand the science of spiritualism. Okay. And so it's, I think one of the reasons it took so, uh, it took hold so deeply in the Victorian era is this kind of renaissance of like understanding how things were. Absolutely, absolutely. Extended to spiritualism as well. And there were huge, like famous people who were huge proponents of spiritualism it really was you know kind of a huge i don't even say fad but like trend was queen victoria into it you know i have i i didn't find reference to her but i have to imagine especially after um after albert died albert passed away yeah there had to be some kind of connection there i i would assume maybe not publicly maybe she was like we're gonna have like a quiet seance (laughs) don't tell anybody um I want to be amused. Now, here's the thing. Speaking of amused, um, I want to talk about this in two very different ways. I was telling Teresa about this because on this show. You're still telling me about it. I am. On this show, we talk about like the textbook etiquette of things, right? Mm -hmm. And we also talk about, but if you want to modern day kind of etiquette of it, right? Right. Because... uh Etiquette is really the way that we that we get along in society. And so if the the like textbook rules don't work, we have to find a new way right. to make it work. And so I want to make something clear. And this is kind of I, I was trying to figure out how to talk about this because we're going to be talking about Houdini and Houdini's connection to seances and, and these mediums was pretty much of a debunking nature, right? right? So Houdini would go in, do the seance, and then say like, okay, well, I can see the wires. I know how you're doing this. And so I think that there would probably be a common misconception that he was out to discredit the idea of ghosts and spiritualism and that kind of thing. But I think that that is because uh, the actual like textbook definition of what a skeptic is mm-hmm. has gotten convoluted over time. A skeptic doesn't not believe in anything. A skeptic is trying to have something proven to them, right? Sure. So it's it's a, a sister podcast of ours, uh, uh, Oh No, Ross and Carrie, is a good example of this. They go in with an open mind. They just actually, like, critique and study and actually look into claims, right? Sure. They they are not going in with their minds set on the fact that it is fake. And so that's kind of what I want to, how I want to approach this, right? Because there's really two different aspects of, like, if we're talking about modern day seancing, seance, is <laughs> one... There, I think there's a version of this where it's fun, like a ghost tour you would go on or telling ghost stories, right? Where somebody comes in, you all hold hands. Oh, it's spooky, right? The the Ouija board, you know, kind of thing. But then there also is a version of this where someone tells you they're in contact with a loved one. And if you pay them money, 
they will help you work through get right, closure that kind from of them and tips the scales into like taking advantage of people. Right. So I, I thought about this as I was doing my research and my number one piece of advice when it comes to like if you want to have a seance where I also saw it referred to as a spirit circle because seance now has such baggage to it, but it's a seance. If you're doing it for fun, <laughs> it's a seance. Um Pay for the experience you're getting, not for the experience you're being promised. Okay. So, like, yes, pay someone to come to your house to set up the table, to sit with you and do tricks and funny voices. Or maybe pay to see, like, well, let's see if they're for real. But don't pay someone who's like, and you will talk for 100%. Talk to your dead grandmother and your dead grandmother will tell you that she loves you and is proud of you even though you fought during your lifetime. Now pay me $1,000. That's not great, right? So pay right. for the experience you're getting. So back to Houdini. Though. Okay. So one of the... The thing about Houdini, and the reason <laughs> I love the history of Houdini, because it's so rare to find someone whose life was comparably in the recent past... But it's still so shrouded in myth and story because a lot of those would come from him. It was hard to tell what was truth and what was lie because of his self-publicity and everything. So one of the... the Well, and because they didn't keep a lot of like detailed like record in the way of like video record that we have now or like you know even even medical records well and not only that but much like pt barnum right his whole career was based off of being larger than life so like he for for example one of the main things houdini would like houdini really branded himself as like an american and like born in america he was not (laughs) he was not born in america he was he was born uh overseas and was was an immigrant um and like so there's all of the and like he tells stories about like one of them of him as like a child is that he would like uh perform on the street as a kid for money and then hid all the coins in his hair and told his mom to shake him and the coins fell out and there was but like who knows if that's real? <laughs> so one of the stories about Houdini and seances and uh, his debunking is that the reason he got so passionate about it was because his mother died and he was, I, I, I don't even want to say mother, ma- mama's boy, because I feel like that is disparaging. He just, he loved his mother so much. Um, and so, for example, one of the things that I read is that he would go to his gra- her grave and lay like, face down on her, her grave with like his just arms spread out for like every day for a year. Wow. He would do this. And like he he just he loved his mother. He was very devoted to his mother. So the story goes that like he would go to seances to try to contact her and one medium claimed to be able to be speaking for her but spoke in English and Houdini's mom didn't speak English. Hmm. Here's the thing. I also found conflicting reports of that, that he didn't go to seances for it and unless there's like private diaries. So it's unclear whether or not that's true. And in fact, he didn't really start his like debunking career until years and years after his mom's death. So he might have spun that tale himself or just might make good fiction. And actually, he had had dealings with spiritualism and mediums earlier in his life than that. So... 
whether or not it was a direct result of mediums taking advantage of him, and so he didn't want that to happen to other people. Mm-hmm. It's a very noble story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I- and like Houdini was kind of in the business of. So this, he's an illusionist, right? And an escape artist. Escapologist, yes. Escapeologist. So he was always kind of wary of the fact that people would claim to be magic. Yes. And things like that. So he was, he was always into the whole, I know what you're doing. I know this yes. trick. This I can was figure time, this out. This is, I think, a foreign concept to people now, right? When we think about magicians. But this was a time where people weren't saying, like, look how intricate this trick is, mm-hmm. but literally, like, I am communing with spirits or I am actually magic, right? And, right. And the thing is, is, like, Houdini, and I once again, it would be so wonderful and heroic to say that, no, Houdini just didn't want people to be frauded. No. Actually, <laughs> Houdini just took such pride in his abilities to do these things that he wanted to make it clear to people like, no, this is not witchcraft or wizardry or magic. I'm just amazing at this. Right. I'm just really good at it. Everything I do can be explained by the fact that I'm incredibly talented. And so, like, he would go to these seances and, and these spirit circles and he would say, like, okay, I know, I know how you're doing this. And so he began to debunk it. Once again, not, I don't think, out of, like, aggression. Although, I did find one story. Where <laughs> Maybe he, out of aggression. He submitted a, a letter to uh, the Mercury. Um, I have it here. Uh, to, yeah, to the Mercury um, that said, um, basically it said, so, you know, people get locked away in these spirit cabinets, which I'll mention in a second. And then we see spirits come out of them. So what if I just shot those spirits? <laughs> I'm like, would would I be tried for murder if a dead body was found on the floor? And that was published in the paper. And it wasn't under his name. It was like under DG. And so then for the next six months, uh, Medium stopped advertising materialism uh, seances for fear that people would shoot them. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it, it mostly was like, he, he it was a skeptic, right? Right. I think at this point, even people who didn't believe in spiritualism wanted on some level to believe. I think everybody does. Even you were saying like, wanted that, to believe in life after death. That his one of his best friends, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Uh-huh. You were telling me this last night while you were researching. Was, they had a huge falling out of this. Was like totally into it. And we also talked about, you know, that seems surprising because of the Sherlock character, you know, always like the the art of observation and deduction. Not only that, specifically, think about the story of the Hound of the Baskervilles, yeah, right? Where it's right. literally like, no, everything can be explained. Everything can be explained. Is the whole thing about that is like there is no ghost. Everything can be explained. It's just a, it's another good example of don't attribute things characters say to what to the author. I see people yeah. do that all the time, where it's like a quote from Hamlet, and it'd be like Shakespeare. I'm like mm. Shakespeare didn't say that. A character who wrote it. <laughs> Anyways, but the thing is, is not only did they have a falling out because Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was a huge believer of spiritualism, and Houdini was going around debunking mediums, but also Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was convinced that the reason Houdini was able to do what he was is because what he did was because he was incredibly powerful 
like man- magician that he really oh, was wow. doing magic and so like nothing houdini would say to him would convince him otherwise and and on some level uh i read one report that sir arthur conan doyle believed that the reason houdini wanted to debunk all these people was because he was a true uh medium and these people were all fake and huh. like they, they just never really reconciled over it um but yeah so and his I- feelings are are highly indicative of the victorians in general yeah. So like it was it, uh. So let let's talk okay. about the history of spiritualism, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? So it the the big swell of it, right? It, it ghosts and people believing in the Catarctica went on a while back, but the big swell of it um really started in 1848. Um and there's a drunk history episode about this or a story about this, but Kate and Margaret Fox, who were sisters uh 12 and 15, they lived in New York and they would like one night played a prank on their parents. Um, that they pretended that their the house was haunted and they could talk to them. But basically it was like they had strings tied to apples that they like dropped downstairs and they could like snap their toes. Mm. And so they would stand there and like tap their, snap their toes to make it seem like they, you know, there were spirits tapping and everything. And they ended up having this whole career out of it. And it kind of uh, caused a big swell. And then in 1855, um, a man named Daniel uh, Hume um be, became like one of the more fame like one of the most famous uh clairvoyants um in in the world um so he was a he claimed to be a clairvoyant and a trance medium but his big specialty was levitation oh i bet that houdini had some fun debunking yes that. um so in, in one report I read, he claimed, or it was claimed, that he floated out one window of a house and into another. And mm, You can't that, see it, but I'm raising my eyebrow yes, incredulously. As you pointed out, photography was not at a point where you could do that, right? Where you could take photos of it. And video wasn't a thing. And so a lot of this was like eyewitness reports. So a lot of what we're dealing with is like uh susceptibility of like oh what's the word i'm looking for a suggestion right right so a lot of these were done in the dark um and and once you kind of created a mood and convey it's like a scary story right where you mm-hmm. turn the lights down and like you're you're whispering real quietly and so if you just in in a full lit room and full voice said yeah and then there, there was a ghost people would be like okay <laughs> but you create the right environment yeah you turn the lights down you make everybody it. chant and hold hands and um now Hume's career kind of took a big hit in mm-hmm. 1868 when he was taken to court by an elderly elderly widow who he had persuaded to adopt him as her son and then sign over her fortune to him uh the court reversed the arrangement mm. and he had to return the money and he never really quite recovered from that so uh another big one and i mentioned the spirit cabinet right so in 1864 american brothers ira and william davenport um so their act was they had this cabinet and they would be tied inside of it restrained inside of it both and, of them yes like they would well, both go in or was it like a switcheroo type thing? I imagine that one was the like, now here's what's happening. Well, the okay. other one was in there. Okay. So um, it wasn't like, what's that movie with? The Prestige? Yeah. Yeah. No, it wasn't like The Prestige. Okay. Nothing is like The Prestige. Um, and so basically in, in this, there were like windows, right? But I imagine they were kind of frosted or they were far away so you couldn't see them. And they put musical instruments in there. So the idea being that 
in within this cabinet, the medium could manifest a spirit, and the spirit would play the animal, uh, the instruments, mm-hmm. or the spirit would like put their hands up against the glass. And this is where Houdini talked about. So, like, what if I shot that spirit? Right. <laughs> so, like, yeah. but what? Because that's not a person, right? And so then a watchmaker named John Maskelin, um, he saw this and was like, "Yeah, I, I could recreate all of this with like tricks and stuff." And later. Uh, the the Davenport brothers did reveal to Harry Houdini that they were just tricks. Um, <laughs> and in eighteen eighty, surprise, surprise. Yeah, in eighteen eighty two, the Society for Psychical Research, which included both believers and skeptics, was formed to conduct scholarly quote to conduct scholarly research into human experiences that challenge contemporary scientific models. End quote. And it still exists today. Um, and can you guess? What the what kind of killed off the big Victorian seance craze? Um, was it a a church move? No, no. it's what? as simple as this: the invention of the flashlight. <gasps> because the the risk of being uh, found out and like because someone would turn a light on in the middle of the seance, you just got too risky, so people stopped doing oh. these big. Now that said spiritualism didn't die out this went on for a long time it just became less trendy at that point um i also as we talk about houdini uh and and his debunking he didn't do it alone and i specifically want to give credit to somebody i found out about as i was researching this and her name is rose mackenberg and first of all Houdini had a team of literal ghostbusters who would go around <laughs> and break up these seances, and this movie hasn't been made yet. They would have to go in disguise. They were so famously reviled by mediums that these debunkers would have to wear disguises so they wouldn't get kicked out of the seances. Wow. It's amazing to me. And Rose Mackenberg, even before meeting Houdini, was a private eye who met Houdini by uh, consulting with him on a case she was working on. And he was so impressed by her that she that he employed her. Um, and uh, basically, they worked together along with other people to debunk people. And, and Harry Houdini referred to it as his own secret service. Ooh. And it was about 20 investigators that he paid uh, a salary to go around and 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 break it all down. Which really illustrates how popular this kind of stuff right? was. Because there's no way you could employ 20 people in, where, where was he based, New York? Yeah, but I mean, this was all over the country. They would basically go on tour, they'd go all around the country bringing this up. And to give you an idea of how big this was, I found this um, number and it just astounded me. Um, a, an investigator named Julian Proskauer, God, I'm bad at names, um, estimated that the number of people that were being suckered by host seance, uh, uh, hoax seances um, and fortune-telling sessions and stuff numbered 30 million per, per year with their losses at $125 million. Oh, wow. Like, th- that's amazing. And um, this, this, these are people who you said were being suckered so like they they really wanted to believe in the the truth that of this not just people who wanted to be entertained right so the the difference here is not just like well you know they might have been thinking about it differently at this point i imagine that anybody who was paying especially these debunkers would view anybody who was paying for fake you know ghosts as being 
uh, as being uh, what, 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 what? I can't remember words. Uh, 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 hoaxed, being conned. Okay. But I would say that, yeah, there there's probably a difference now in our terminology between like, what a fun evening of seeing magic or a fun performance, right? Mm-hmm. Versus like, come to me whenever you have a problem and I'll tell you how to deal with it because I'm in touch with the spirits and right. becoming like, becoming basically like an addiction, right? Where it's mm. like, I, I, I don't trust myself to make a decision unless I talk with my spiritual advisors, right? That I'm just not cool with that. Um, and yes, so as I mentioned, uh, Houdini. Um, now, here's the thing, right? Now, you might think. <laughs> okay, all okay. right. <laughs> and you might think, but Travis, but Travis, you just talked about how Houdini spent a huge portion of his career debunking these. How can you say that he still wanted to believe. Well, when he died, his wife, Bess, and he had a code worked out. They had an arrangement worked out that she would do seances and, like, try to contact him. The idea being if anyone could contact someone from beyond the grave, it would be Houdini. Right. Right? And so she held seances for 10 years after his death trying to contact him so that he would give her the code phrase that they had worked out, the code phrase being Rosabelle believe, Rosabelle being a song that they both liked, and believe being the instruction, it's real, right? So he he died with the instructions being like, but have seances for me, because I'm going to try to contact you, and we're going to figure this out if we can. So it really was a thing that he believed in, that he wanted to believe in. He just kept finding examples of it not being real. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes is uh, is when Beth, so Bess did seances for 10 years, mm-hmm. and then she stopped doing them because, quote, 10 years is long enough to wait for any man. Yeah. End quote. I like that a lot. Get it, Bess. Um, so let's talk about the, the seance itself, right? Right. How- I'm very interested. I mean, you talked about how there's there's kind of a um, you know, a mood that one creates right. for a seance, but is there any sort of like specific thing that Indeed. people are looking for? Now, when we talk about specifics in seances, it's not exactly pinpoint science. Well, because everybody wants to put their own stamp on right. it. Right. So, but these are just general things if you're looking to do a home seance. Uh, it usually takes place in the home of the medium or one of the sitters. Uh, the sit, sitters? Sitters. Sitter. So okay. sitters, people who sit around the table, and your medium, right? Okay, okay. So in general, much like, uh, I don't know, the ride, the tram ride at, at Universal, you want a guide. <laughs> okay. You're going to want a medium. Um, especially because looking at it from a fun time point of view, you want somebody to be in charge. You want somebody leading the evening and making it fun for everybody, right? Right. Um, and then the sitters sit around the table. Usually lasts about two hours. And I found one that says, I found one point where it said uh, two hours unless the ghost asks for an extension. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, obviously. If the ghost is like, can we go a little longer? You're like, I'm feeling oh, super chatty tonight. I just really, oh, I sorry we only blocked you off for two. No, just like 20 more minutes? No, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, maybe next week I'm not doing anything. I'll be here Okay. Waiting. Now, this is important. I found this referenced a lot. Sitters are not supposed to touch mediums 
or the spirits unless the spirits touch them first. Now, I will also say this is a great rule for haunted houses. Um, don't touch people. <laughs> you know, in general, don't touch people. Yeah. But ever. No, without consent. But the reason this was... Uh, okay, so the reason this rule came about is twofold. One, the claimed belief was that these these uh, spirits were extensions of mm-hmm. of the medium themselves. And like that there was like ectoplasm that was usually like wet fabric. Um, but that touching these things could cause a kind of like a backlash of energy to the medium that could kill them or even harm the sitters in the room. Now, the real reason. This is reason, a really great way to get people to leave your stuff alone. That's what I'm saying. The real reason <laughs> is like, well, yeah, I know said tomorrow I'll die or whatever. So you didn't like poke someone in a bed sheet and be like, that's not a ghost. And so, yeah. But. Once again, if you're doing this of like we're playing along with like a magician thing, cool. Yeah, don't don't shake the medium. Don't wake the baby, right? Right. Um, now, along with tables and chairs, uh, many seances also use spirit cabinets, which I mentioned. But if you don't have a spirit cabinet, the spirit cabinets were mostly, I think, devised as a way to like kind of test a, a medium's ability of like, okay, but what if you don't have access to the table? What if you don't? And so it can be a cabinet. It could also just be like a section of the room where they go behind a curtain or whatever. Okay. And now I will actually tell you, as someone who has studied magic and really likes magic, it's one of those things where the claim of like, well, you put me in a box. I'm even more at a loss than I was. No, 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 no. As soon as you can't see the performer, you have given them carte blanche to like exercise so many more tricks yeah. than when they were in plain view sitting at the table with you. Anyways, just I'm just saying. Um, speaking of, by the way, this is a very interesting thing I found. Um, you know, one of the like um, kind of iconic things of a sense is like the table shaking. Right. A lot of that was attributed to the sitters themselves and subconsciously doing it themselves. Right, that's one of the things that's attributed okay. to Ouija boards. Right, you put your uh, put your fingers on it, and you'd like micro movements. You don't consciously know you're doing, but your body is doing. You are mm-hmm. thinking about it without thinking about it. So, like people would put their hands on the table, right, and you wouldn't consciously be thinking, "I'm going to shake the table," but on some level, because they were bought into that mood and right. that environment, they would shake the table. And with enough people's hands on the table. You should be able, you you might be able to feel if someone is moving through the table, but they're like, I'm not moving. But then like, you think that it's a uh, spirit or whatever. Yeah. And then there were whole other tricks, like especially if it was somewhere where the medium had set up where like they would have a pedal on the ground that they would push down with their foot that would lift the table. Oh. Right. Or like Confederates who would like make noise or whatever. Um, because so this is... <laughs> The internet's an amazing place. Is it? And this is from WikiHow with with the title, How to Conduct a Seance. Well, great. So three is the minimum number for a seance. Makes sense. You don't want just two people. Medium and one sitter, boring. Make it a party. Get some friends together. Put out some chips and dip. Um, Choose a medium. And it should be someone experienced. Now, a lot of things will tell you it should be someone experienced to keep everybody safe from spirits. We'll also say it should be someone experienced, much like picking a DM for a role-playing game. If you want to play D&D, pick an experienced DM, because it'll be a more fun evening. Exactly. Um, one of the instructions was, who are you trying to conjure? Someone specific? Or just seeing what spirits are around? <laughs> okay. Um, 
once again, I would say from the other side of it, if you're trying to create a fun night of entertainment, saying we're trying to contact Napoleon or whatever All right. is fun. Or just saying, like, is there a spirit in the house? That's fun. Um, now, I also found here on WikiHow, place three candles or a number but divisible by three. I think three is just a power. Listen, a triangle is a powerful thing. I assume it's just like a power number three. It, I don't know. It also looks nice. It is nice. It's a good balance. Um, and it's also recommended that you leave some, you put some kind of offering out on the table of food or drink, maybe a glass of wine for the spirit, mm. which is nice because, you know, they can't get burgers over there. So leave it out. That would also be nice for Napoleon to be like, this is a good burger. <laughs> um, you know how the French do. Um, now, it also says, set the mood, light the candles, dim the lights, light some incense. Also, all good. Once again, you're trying to establish a certain mood here, right? right. So, like, the gather around, hold hands, um, follow the medium in a chant, and then the, the medium will call out to the spirit, and now this is where we get a little bit into Wait for the spirit to respond. Stay calm. If things get too real... You can always blow out the candles to break. Don't shake the medium. Blow out the candles. There's two reasons for this. One, you would say, because that cuts the... No, that's a symbol. (laughs) That's a sign to your medium, like, and we're done. And we're over. Now, that's kind of how to, but I also found some seance etiquette. Okay, great. Um, So, seance etiquette. Um, Don't shout or speak out of turn. It's just a good rule in general, playing games with friends. What, um, you know, don't ruin the performance. Right. A, a lot of these <laughs> you can look at from one direction. and like, because you'll anger the spirits. And they're like, because you'll harsh everyone's mellow. Yeah. Um, communicate clearly to those joining you in the seance what you are hoping to get out of it. This goes back to who are you trying to conjure? What are you trying to figure out? Um, now, this one, I think is not only important for many reasons in this, but in life. Be there because you want to be. Even if you... Here's an important lesson from me, Travis McElroy, to you at home. Even if you don't believe a thing, even if you're not bought into a thing, even if if a thing isn't important to you, you can still enjoy it sincerely. You know, this is... I, I would say that in this scenario... This is the same as like going to a bachelorette party or going to see a movie your friend wants to see that you don't. Right. There's a certain element of of supporting people and and trying to buy into it. For example, let's think about this instead of a séance as a haunted house, right. right? Okay. You don't have to be scared to enjoy a haunted house. But here's the thing. If your friend is there to get scared, don't be the person who's like, there's someone hiding behind that door. Or like, that's not really a ghost. Whatever. Like, let... let it's a real buzzkill. Yeah. Let, let your other people there enjoy it how they're enjoying it. And you can enjoy it for the showmanship. Or you can enjoy watching your friends enjoy it. But don't be the person who's like, now, that said, if the medium is like, I'm paying me $1,000, then you can be like, okay, we're done. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> But everybody's having a good time and getting spooked or whatever. Let them enjoy it. Don't be the person who's like pointing at the wires. You know what I mean? That was Houdini's job. Yeah. And like debunk if you must debunk. But if it's just for fun, it's just for fun. Uh, Along those same lines, don't be rude or sarcastic to the spirits. Play along. Improv is improv. Play along. It's way more fun. Uh, Don't get super drunk. And then I added, save that for after. (laughs) Um, 
Now, this is an important one in general, especially if you're worried about getting defrauded. Don't before starting, don't give the medium too much personal info. Right. Oh, yeah. Make them work for it. Right. Don't be like, hey, I'm Tom and this is my friend Bill and he's getting married next week to Susan. They've known each other for eight years. They met because like. Right. Part of the fun of like these cold readings, by the way, haven't mentioned this cold readings. If you ever like most psychics now are cold readings where it's just like I feel a J in a room full of 100 people. One of them either has a name with a J, knows someone who's name. That's a cold reading, right? Right. Um, and this uh, kind of educated guessing, right? And, and then and following like, it up of like, and you've lost someone. Yes, of course, we've all lost someone. <laughs> like, and you breathe air. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I do breathe air. <gasps> he knows me. Um, and and so once again, I'm going to reiterate my rule: pay for the experience you are getting, not for something you are being promised. Now, uh, before we wrap up, I also found, and this is from a 1921 article published in, it just said, The Times. So maybe in 1921, there was only one Times. Just one? I I guess. But this was etiquette specifically for when you meet a ghost. Oh, this I'm interested in. Yes. And this was an actual article that appeared, um, and this was very popular. Um, and this was, it was actually, uh, the, okay, this says, the ghostly code of contact was prepared as a possible topic for discussion at the first international congr- congress for the psychical research in Copenhagen the same year. Oh, whether, that you mentioned earlier, yes, right? Okay. Now, whether or not it actually made it on the agenda, that's not known. But here is the how, uh, how to properly uh, uh, interact with a ghost and, and behave with a ghost. So, one... We cannot urge you too strongly to appear perfectly natural when receiving a ghost. If you are seated, remain so. You won't gain anything by standing up. When reading, you may lay aside your book, if you wish, or if you are very nervous, you may walk across the room, flick your cigarette ashes off in the tray. This will conceal your embarrassment for the time being. (laughs) Always speak to a ghost when it calls. Never permit it to stand willy-nilly on the door sill for any length of time. This little courtesy is only its due. The oldest traditions of the spirit world demand it. Make your salutation perfectly natural. Otherwise, your visitor may feel gauche and ill at ease. Act as if you had an appointment and the ghost had kept it to the minute. Say carelessly and sort of offhand, Hello, old man, what can I do for you? Or, if the specter is a lady, So sweet of you, dear, to come. This will start things off pleasantly and open the way for confidences. You will soon find out what the, what the call is about anyway. Never turn your back on a ghost while it is in the room. If it calls at midnight after you have retired, never under any circumstances push an electric switch. Your experience will be valueless if you do. (laughs) Then again, there is the question of flowers. Many experts contend that it is best not to speak to a ghost unless you have flowers in your hand. Here, too, one must exercise discretion. It is obvious folly to waste orchids on a spirit which recognizes nothing but dandelions. No married man should cherish the fatuous belief that a woman's interesting clothes ends at the grave. To the ghost of deceased ladies in ancient times, dress was more important. It caused them many an anxious moment when they were invited to visit the mortal sphere. Oh, boy. Uh, so, if you follow all those rules, 
I guess your interactions with ghosts will be pleasant. All right. Um, one last thing before we wrap up. I just found this to be a very interesting story, right? That it's, if you've ever seen The Mentalist, um, <laughs> I like The Mentalist. It's, it's always interesting to see stories from the point of view of somebody who is very clearly doing a trick uh-huh. and can't convince people they are just doing a trick and it's not real. Right. And one of those examples, so actually early in their career, Houdini and his wife Bess uh, worked as spiritualists. They performed on stage as like psychics and spiritualists and stuff. Um, And one of my favorite stories is Harry Houdini predicted that a boy in, in the crowd would fall off his bike and break his arm. And then it happened. And then the mother accused him publicly of engaging in black magic. <laughs> but the thing is, earlier that day, walking around town, Houdini had seen the mother scolding the boy for riding his bike so recklessly. <laughs> and so he had just kind of made an educated guess that that would happen. And it, like, it, so after that, he kind of gave up spiritualism because he was like, no, it's just a trick. It's a trick. It's just a trick. <laughs> anyway, so I just think that's so interesting. Um, so that's going to do it for us. Thank you so much. For joining us, because if you were here, it means you are a Max Fun supporter, and that means the world to us. Um, we support your support. And if you're listening to this, and you have friends who aren't Max Fun donors, you should stop being friends with. Them. No, 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 no. You should tell them and say like, "Hey, hey, Jiminy, I know that you listen." You should maybe consider supporting because it's a nice thing to do. If you can, if not, it's totally fine. I understand. Be polite about it. And you'll get this sweet, sweet bonus episode. That's right. Uh, so thank you so much. Uh, you are great. Thank you, Travis. This was great. I always love an opportunity to be not the one in charge. <laughs> what, what you all couldn't see is that basically whenever she wasn't talking, Teresa was asleep. She was just sleeping there. She wake up and go, oh, that's so interesting. <laughs> Of course uh, not. You no. were riveting. It was a great job. Hey, thank you. Um, join us again next year, I guess, for another Max Fun Drive bonus episode. Still, no RSVP required. You've been listening to Schmanners. Manners, Schmanners. Get it? MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.